Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, Poddleters. How are you? I hope you're well. This week's episode is very special as it was recorded on International Women's Day at the Boulevard Theatre in Soho. And my guest is Belle Ribeiro Addy, who is Shadow Immigration Officer and the new Labour MP for Streatham. The question is, when does politics become a feminist issue? And I absolutely love talking to Belle about this. I feel like it was so insightful and super interesting. And we also had some some fantastic questions from the audience who were there. So I really hope you enjoy it. And as always, please do rate, review and subscribe. Bye. How are you all doing? You good? Thank you so much uh, for coming to join us. I am joined by the wonderful Belle Ribeiro Addy. Can we please have a big round of applause for Belle? Hi, everybody. Hello. <laughs> so, um, in today's episode, it's going to be we're going to be talking about when does politics become a feminist issue, which is kind of a bit of a rhetorical question because I think we all kind of know in this day and age that it's always a feminist issue. Um, and I have the amazing Belle with me, but if you don't know who she is, I'm going to ask her to introduce herself and what she does. Okay, so um, I am the new Labour Member of Parliament for Streatham, just elected a... <laughs> Someone from Streatham, yeah! <laughs> uh, just elected in December. We were just talking about how that wasn't really that long ago. Um, I'm also the Shadow Immigration Minister uh, for the Labour Party. Um, it's great. I get to represent the area where I was born and raised. Um, for those of you that don't know, Streatham actually covers Brixton Hill, Tolls Hill, um, Ballam, and uh, Clapham Common as well. Amazing. So I guess International Women's Day is an interesting one. I feel like we've learned about it a lot more recently because there's a lot of like brands kind of co-opting it and turning it into a, something that it's not really about. It's kind of about pushing women forward so that we have equal rights, equal opportunities, etc. But what I wanted to ask you is feminism can be a bit of a conflicting term. Lots of people have different ideas about what it means to them. Do you have a way that you define feminism personally? Um, feminism for me is about equality, not equity. And just to explain that, I feel like when we talk about these issues um, of, of diversity a lot of the time, we, we try to put it in the terms of equity so that people are exactly the same and they're given exactly the same things, but that's just not the way the world works if we if we exist in a world where there's discrimination you need what is equality and equality is specifically giving people what they need to be the very best that they can be so you know for example if you um, are a woman and there are less women in a particular workplace you may need to be pushed forward by having some sort of quota for a certain number of women there's not there's no there's no equity in that but there's definitely equality in it and also uh, for me feminism is about Every, every single woman all across the world. I feel like a lot of the time feminism is kind of, um, the idea of feminism is, is couched around white women specifically. But if we are going to, to tackle equality for women, we need to look at equality for women across, across the world, um, all colours. Yeah, totally. And I mean, it's incredible that you are a woman and a woman of colour who's a Labour MP, um, Shadow Immigration Officer. Like that's a kind of a big role and a big position to be in. When did you first realise that you wanted to become someone who was kind of fighting on the front lines of politics? Um, well, it was probably not too long before I actually started to uh, campaign to be to be the candidate for Labour. Um, I worked for Diane Abbott MP, who's the Member of Parliament for Hackney, uh, for a number of years. And obviously that's enough to put you off wanting to be a, a black woman in politics, full stop. Um, you know, I, I ran her office, I saw... What she got, I tried to stop her getting a lot of the abuse that, or seeing a lot of the abuse that she did get. And I, I suppose I didn't realise how much until it got to a certain point that it personally affected me. And I think that's what people need to think about, particularly online platforms. Um, when they're thinking about 
trolls and how they're putting their messages out there. It's not just the woman that's being attacked that's affected. It's other people who who watch that, mm. who who read those horrible messages which relate to themselves that can be impacted by it as well. So, um, no, I, I didn't want to get into politics initially, but I did want to support um, a fantastic woman. And I suppose that's another thing that feminism is about for me, lifting other women up. Uh, a lot of the time you have women in leadership positions who may not necessarily lift other women up. Mm. Um, we've had two female prime ministers. As far as I'm concerned, neither of them have done that well for women other than being there. Representation is not just about being a face. You've got to actually do something for the people that look like you or the people that um, you know you represent. So it's great to have more people um, of colour. It's great to have more uh, disabled people. It's great to have more LGBT people. It's great to have more women. But what are all of those individuals doing for those specific communities to lift them up? Mm, totally. So I guess what we're talking about there is more like intersectionality, which is the kind of feminism uh, that I subscribe to. And I think we're always hoping that we're pushing forwards. But to be a bit party political specific, how are you feeling about the fact that the Labour Party is probably going to get another white man to be in charge? Well, firstly, I'm hoping that doesn't happen because that's not the <laughs> I'm supporting. Um, I'm actually supporting one of the uh, female candidates, Rebecca Long-Bailey. Um, I think it's it's time we had a woman, not just for having a woman's sake, um, because I think she, she would be a fantastic leader of our party. Uh, but I, I feel that it's, it's, it's the type of thing that happens often when... Um, in politics when a party loses. So when you lose, uh, you think, gosh, why did the other side win? And you think you need to completely emulate the other side. Um, and you think, gosh, what does it, what do you, we think people want? And, you know, uh, the, the white man that everybody thinks is most likely to be elected leader of the Labour Party, there's nothing wrong with him. He's actually, he's actually, he's actually great. Me and him get on quite well. Um, but it's just, it's just, I, I, if people want to vote for him, I want them to vote for him because they believe in what he believes not because they think he's what a prime minister looks like. Mm. So coming on to voting, I guess I think I come to, came to politics quite late. Well, I thought I did because I didn't realise how political everything is. <laughs> like every debate that you have at your dinner table about why you're having something for dinner or about why your friend should go out with that boy or whatever it might be <laughs> is in its own essence really political. And I think one massive part of feminism that I think a lot of young women today, we all see ourselves as feminists, but we might not see ourselves as that political. And I think trying to marry those two things together to encourage especially young women to vote and to get invested in politics. Is there anything like a takeaway that you feel kind of shines a bit more of a light on what party politics can really achieve? Because sometimes it feels really far away mm. and we don't necessarily see how it impacts us, which it does hugely. No, it's, it, it, it can be very, very far removed, especially when there are less, less, less women involved. But I would always argue that you'd have to get your foot in the door once one person does and everybody else follows, it starts to create a change. And obviously the gains that we've made in terms of women's liberation are fantastic, but there's still so much further to go. And what I would say to everybody is if we didn't have um, the women that we had involved in politics, involved in local parties, actually holding it up, um, we, wouldn't have, we wouldn't have got to where we are now and where we are is still not far enough. So actually falling back <laughs> is definitely not, not the way forward. So we have... Um, more women in Parliament than we've ever had before. And that's meant that even after, and again, this is, it's disgraceful that this is only happening now, but we're finally going to have a domestic abuse bill. And um, obviously it's not just going to be about domestic abuse against women, but we know that women are predominantly um, the people that suffer from domestic abuse. Uh, but it's taken us to have... Uh, and a certain number of women in parliament to be able to push this to the forefront. And even then, when we get it, we're going to have to argue for certain things in terms of resources. But imagine if we didn't have women in parliament. Mm. It's, it's so interesting to recognise that these issues, you kind of, you get taught when you're growing up that things aren't important if they're not. If you don't have someone there to represent you, as I say, like a woman, then there's no one kind of pushing forward these women's issues, which are universal. They're not just mm -hmm. kind of like one specific case but I find it very interesting because you talk a lot about racism yeah. and this is a massive thing that we don't see like from a point of privilege as a white woman there was loads of things that I didn't understand for years about systemic racism and, and how it impacts us and now that we do have voices like yours speaking in parliament it shines a light on these issues that, that impact so so many people and a point that I thought you made that was so salient and like really easy to understand was in your maiden speech and you were talking about the way that if a young black man in, in your constituency was caught using drugs yeah. <laughs> and that's not, and I kind of would, I'd love you to expand on just as a, like a really easy window and portal into this really, a huge inequality between the way that we te 
treat people of different races, if you could talk on that. Well, specifically on this, you're quite right, the issue of drugs is, is one that is probably the quite a good one to paint, paint, to paint what this issue is like. So we've got a, a, a prime minister at the moment who's admitted to taking cocaine. And actually the majority of people in the Tory leadership contest, except for the one black man, actually, strangely enough, all admitted to taking drugs at some point in time. Um, but, you know, none of them, not a single one of them has ever faced any issues for having taken drugs. Now, uh, what I was explaining, if you were a young black man in in, in, our, in in the area where we live, if you're caught with drugs, um, you can face a, you can face jail time, quite literally. And I'm sure you would have heard about the recent charter flight deportations um, that have been happening. One of the individuals who was put on the flight as a criminal, a foreign national criminal, someone who had been here since he was, I think, five years old, he was caught with 30 pounds worth of cocaine and was done with intent, with possession, with intent to supply with. What they said he was going to supply it. Now, £30 worth of cocaine, I'm not sure how far he could have got with that. But <laughs> <laughs> he actually ended up getting um, getting a custodial sentence of over 12 months. Obviously, he didn't serve it because he only had £30 worth of cocaine. But because of that, he was put on a list of individuals who, was due, who were due to be removed out of the country just for that purpose. Now, the d disparity between that is, is an absolute disgrace. I believe that we need to look at um, drug reforms overall. The war on, on, on drugs hasn't worked. Um, but aside from that, we need to look at sentencing. You've got situations where if, if you are black, you're literally going to get a larger sentence um, um, for something that, you know, if your white counterpart did, they'd probably get a slap on the wrist for. And it's just it's just not acceptable, especially when it could lead to you being removed from the country and being torn away from everything you know in your family. So it's so amazing you, you're speaking up on this and that you get to do it in places like watching you in that video in Parliament talking about this is incredible because I think we all know or hopefully lots of us understand these systemic injustices. But also there's a lot of stereotyping that happens where mm. people start to believe that people of colour have a tendency towards criminal behaviour or whatever. So mm. without a voice like yours exposing how it's so corrupt the way we look at it, it's really important. But to be a woman in your position and to stand up and say the things you're saying takes a lot of bravery. You've been doing this for 12 weeks. How, how are you <laughs> feeling, like, doing this? Like, are you scared? Are you... Well, I can't tell you how many times I've been told, mostly online, to go back to where I came from, which isn't very far from here. It's Brixton Hill. But I'm guessing the people that say that don't actually mean Brixton Hill. Um, and that's actually quite a horrible thing. When you're uh, you know, a young black woman that lives in a country where people, people say things like that, you do question uh, your identity. Uh, you do question whether or not um, you belong. And to have that thrown in your face all of the time, you start to think about it. But this is this is very much my country. I'm I'm British. Um, I go anywhere. I, I go to where my family are from, which is Ghana. They treat me very much like I'm British. <laughs> and um, you know, there's 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 this is this is who I am. But to be told that because I'm I'm black and because I may be proud of my heritage, I can't be British is is. It's, it's a horrible thing to feel. And, and obviously then there are the, the issues of safety, as you talk about. I, I mean, before, um, when you're an MP, you would have thought it was quite... Obviously, my parents are really proud now. <laughs> they weren't so much before. But, <laughs> but you know, it, it seems like a nice, clean, indoorsy type of job. Um, but now you experience lots of online abuse. Um, you know, all of us are given panic buttons now. Um if you get death threats, you, you know, have to go through certain security measures. So it, it's actually kind of become unsafe. And you think about uh, our colleague, Joe Cox, who was killed a couple of years ago. And obviously, there's so many different issues around that, including, um, you know, mental health support for individuals and just the general rise in racism. But it's not it's not necessarily that that safe representative mm. job that it was before. So, like, coming back to this question, I guess, of, like, when does politics become a feminist issue? And I, I think the cusp of the, the reason why I want to talk about this is we all have to really bandy together and look after each other because it's kind of like one idea of having one woman at the forefront kind of talking about it. But we all, I feel, have to be more politically engaged more of the time. Mm -hmm. I think, like, things happen with, like, Brexit or the election. You might feel a big charge. And it can be really draining, actually, to try and stay actively involved. But I feel like there's smaller ways that we can be allies and do small political actions that are like mini active, like we're activating things in small ways. Um, and I guess 
on a smaller scale, so not from like, obviously I'm not going to go stand in Parliament anytime soon, probably. I don't think so. Wouldn't have thought so. Um, but, I never thought I was going to either, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think I probably swear too much. Oh, actually, you're allowed to swear. Are we? Yeah. Am I allowed to swear? Well, you're allowed to swear now. Yeah. Oh, but I mean, you. no, I mean. <laughs> I've been really well behaved. I remember I went into my office once and I was like, okay, I'm not going to swear. I lasted about 30 minutes. <laughs> Um, I was going to say, oh yeah, so uh, as like a civilian, uh, what, what are the kind of things that we as women and men, I'm glad to see there's some men in the room, that's really, always really nice, um, we shouldn't pat you on the back so much actually, it's just great that you're coming to talk about feminism, um, <laughs> so classic, but what are little things that people can do in their day-to-day life that will help towards you feeling safer as that person that really is taking the brunt of that heat um, and trying to be on those front lines? Do you know what I think has always been great um, when I do see women being abused online is the way that other women do come out and, mm. and, and get at them. There's, it's like a little army. Um, and I'm trying to remember what the... Uh, there's, there's this group of women in India and it, let, it, lets me, it makes me think of them. They wear pink saris. They've got a specific name I can't remember. But what they do is they literally go around and find men who, um, who abuse their wives and beat them. And they look so badass. They've got like, they've got like clubs, they're pink saris and they're just like, yeah, we're ready. So when all the women come at, come at um, you know, all of these horrible sexist, racist trolls online, I always think that's fantastic. <laughs> So just encouraging a little bit of light beating this evening. Um, nothing, too, nothing too wild. Uh, but are you seeing, I mean, I think the difficulty in the time we're in now, it's really polarised and I talk about this all the time. You guys are probably really bored of me saying this if you listen to my podcast. But we're in this weird climate of kind of woke culture, cancel culture. Everyone feels like they know how to talk about things. But on the other hand, it's like really dystopian. We were just talking briefly backstage about the whole Stormzy issue when he was, someone said to him, do you think Britain's racist? And he was like, yeah, 100%. And it all got flipped, turned upside yeah. down, when actually Britain is 100% racist systemically, you know. Yeah. Um, and but how do we combat this really weird time of what I'm trying to change to do now is I think I went like tried to be super woke. And actually now I think the important thing is trying to engage with people who maybe are not there, who don't think like me, maybe vote differently for me. Do you feel like you've got a good means of engaging with people that do think differently from you politically and you can bridge that gap? Or do you find that you find it really difficult to... Um, I mean, it, it, is, it is quite difficult for me because I'm literally sat opposite in a room most of the time from people who don't, <laughs> don't vote like me at all. And that's specifically part of the game. Um, and it is, it is hard to engage with people with that, especially when, you know, they know where I'm coming from. I'm a Labour politician. Um, I'm a woman. I'm black. Um, you can pretty much, you know, decide what it is that I think before you even hear me open my mouth. So how do I get you to believe uh, that what, believe what I'm saying we even take it on board but there are there seem to be very many issues that um kind of get to people and I think it's always trying to relate to people on a certain level so I remember when um when the Windrush scandal came about I think that's something that people could really relate to because they thought gosh these people have been here their whole lives and they've worked in they've worked alongside us why would you treat them like that and when um and when other issues in, in terms of what I do with with immigration family reunion allowing people to reunite with their families when they've come when you know when they're on un, an unaccompanied minor and they've traveled all of that way just those those basic kind of human things that everybody mm. understands everybody understands family um everybody understands home so I think a lot of the time in, in terms of trying to engage with people who may not agree with you, just starting starting where you agree before you get to where you disagree. Yeah, I think it's so powerful about talking human first. And that's actually something I want to talk about. It's like a slight change of tack. But I went to talk last night with the Women of the World organisation, I think that was called. And yeah, South Bank Centre. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Were you there last night? No, no, no it wasn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's amazing. I cried. Uh, and it was... It was so powerful. There was two women who were both from indigenous communities and they were talking about how climate change personally impacts them and their indigenous community and how um, it was like, it was just seeing the humanity in the things that we do rather than, I think we talk about climate change a lot from a planetary point of view and sometimes it's quite hard to get really engaged with like what the oceans and the trees are doing because you don't really hang out with them too often. <laughs> but when there's like a woman sat there in front of you telling you that like, for, the, for forever, her, she was saying how her mum can predict the weather. So they had like scientists around because they were looking at the soil or something. And she, was, she said oh, it was going to rain in two hours. And they're like, no, it's definitely not. And then in two hours it rained and they were all like, oh. And now apparently they go to her and ask her and try and check, 
because these people have been tilling and working through the yeah. land forever and they know it so well. And having these two women sit there and tell me how, not tell me, they weren't, <laughs> there was lots of other people there. I was just in the audience. <laughs> but you felt. But I, did, I really did. I honestly was like, it was so emotional. And, and they were talking about how like palm oil kills like hundreds of indigenous women that are these women's sisters and her friends. And it really, that really changed something in my mind. Like it was, it made this problem so human and then they spoke about Mary Robinson which I'm sure you, you will know because you're more political mm. than me but she was the first president of Ireland I didn't mm. even know that Ireland yeah. had a female president so badass she's like 70 and she's amazing and she was saying how isn't it fascinating that when it comes to like the coronavirus we can have like take this immediate action all these things we're going to do Gosh, do you know what I read today just uh, just for all the women apparently I know there's lots of stuff going on out there about what the coronavirus we're less likely to catch it and if we do we're less likely to be seriously affected by it I actually think sometimes <laughs> sometimes stuff like this happens and it's like the world being like, look what's going on. Because apparently in China now, it's like the best that the pollution's ever been. Oh, and actually the world's like so much better because no one's doing anything, no one's mm. flying. And like the productivity's really dope. It's probably mother nature being like, come on, everyone, chill out. I'm going <laughs> to give you a little virus. Um, <laughs> but, but no, I think this is really important because I think we all have the tendency, especially online, to get really worked up to the point mm. where we see red the minute when someone kind of disagrees with us. And I don't mm. think it used to be like that. I don't know if we used to feel so much um, like anger about people voting differently to us. I think it's because we didn't have so many mediums with which to disagree. Yeah, that's true. You can Instagram it, you can Facebook it, you can tweet it. What are the other ones? <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> even know. You can Snapchat it. You can just, there's just so many ways in which you can disagree with people these days and I think people feel the need to well people are interacting more in that way um yeah so I think maybe that's maybe that is it yeah, yeah. tying into it I also think it's maybe complicated a bit when it comes to how to vote because I think um on the one hand I think a lot of people who are younger we all use social media and, and tend to be well in London especially I know that a lot of my friends are very left-leaning mm -hmm very liberal, but then maybe the slightly older generations to, to generalise, lean a bit more to the right and maybe read more kind of right-wing newspaper rhetoric. But say we're not trying to tell anyone how to vote. How does someone get the power to really make the decision? Because sometimes I feel like we all really feel really passionate about something, but someone then might ask us why, and we don't actually really know why. We just kind of have got done it because mm. everyone else is doing it. See, I, I'm getting really worried about that because, you know, you were talking about, oh, you know, you could read this particular paper because you lean this way and you can read this particular paper because you lean that way. And I understand that different papers will have different takes on things. But my worry is that, um, you know, if, if you've got certain groups in control of the media, they're controlling the truth. They're controlling, mm. they're controlling the narrative. They're controlling what everybody hears. And so you're making decisions based on... Uh, quote fake news <laughs> um and and not necessarily what what is fact I feel like we're bombarded with a lot of things so sometimes when you hear people talk about one of these really emotive issues you can literally hear people repeating daily mail headlines and it's quite scary that it's been able to kind of get into people's heads mm. like that um and you know there's a lot of evidence about you know the way in which people are using messaging and our data points on social media to control um you know what it is that we see and so the types of the types of images and 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 messages they want to get across and that's that's really scary so there's a lot more independent thought required than there would have been before because before you were just working from what was fact yeah i think and i think that is the issue like it's really it's actually really hard to to, to escape all the noise of the media and the propaganda, as you say, and there's governing bodies that kind of use certain rhetoric. And if you read it enough subliminally, it does start to go in. Like, we've all felt that way. Like if you're a woman, I'm sure at any given point in time, you felt really shit about your body. And the likelihood that you felt that is just because over time, yep. you've consumed so much information to tell you why your body is wrong, that it becomes part of the tapestry of who you are and you just start to believe it. And I think the same can be done with politics. But I guess what I'm trying to ask is like, how do we find the truth then? Like where, where are these true stories and the facts because that's actually really hard to find like we don't have hours all day to, to be getting this information no. and it, it can feel like how do we trust a politician and how do we know what to believe there's don't a lot to them. ask you no, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> don't trust all of them though no 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 some of them are <laughs> definitely lying to you I'm not lying to you though <laughs> no but seriously again it is it's genuinely about doing that investigate it can be very confusing even for someone who's sitting in the house of commons chamber you'll see someone on the labor side get up and say you've cut this and the toys will get up we put more money into it and you're like who exactly is telling the truth but all of this information is readily available it's just about you finding a source that you do 
trust. Mm. So once you do find a source you do trust, do kind of hold on to them. There are loads of different kind of fact-checking type, um, you know, groups that that might be able to help you with things like that. And once you do, you know, grab onto one that you do trust, I would say go with them. Keep checking on them, though, definitely. But um, it is is, is completely difficult to drown out all the noise. And yes, everybody, and and I'll say this from our side as well, we are are there to put forward a particular message. We're going to say what we have to say to get that message across. Although I would say that we're definitely more truthful than the other side. I guess you have to say that. Um, I believe you, though. Thank you. Uh, so it, talking about like when when politics is, is feminist and when it's fighting for us and what it's doing, I guess that what I've realised like when it comes to voting is that I, I am directly impacted by what happens in politics. Maybe not economically. Like, I'm a white middle-class woman, fairly posh. Like, I don't really think economically, it doesn't really matter which way it goes, I probably will have a safety net around me. Uh, but when I vote, I... I I vote for my gender, but beyond that, I do vote for intersectionality. So I'm actually kind of not voting for me. I'm mm-hmm. voting for the people who haven't been given the same privileges as me to kind of, not to pay reparations, but to try and like redistribute some of the, the systemic wealth that I've been given in terms of my... But I would argue that you are voting for you because technically we all benefit from a world that is more That's equal and fair. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I get what you mean about it maybe not directly affecting you, but I think think about where we live because we live in the same area <laughs> um but just culturally um and and just just everything in there would be different if we didn't have um if we didn't have the diversity that we have our experiences would be yeah. different our outlook on life would be different we we probably would be worse people. <laughs> yeah, I retract my statement. She's completely right. Um, <laughs> I do vote for me. I guess what I meant more was um, when I was being brought up, it was more in like a conservative environment. And I guess people vote. There's a weird thing where you get taught to like kind of vote for hoarding and keeping things the same. And yeah, I think when you, if you vote conservatively, it's like about, God, I don't want to lose what I've got. And I think sometimes we can feel like if you're a privileged person that things might change so drastically that, like, you know, someone's going to be better off than you. But they're not the whole point is that you're fighting for things to be more equal for everyone. And politics is feminist in that, like, I don't know about you, but I absolutely hate seeing homeless people the whole time. And at the minute, I find yeah. it even more soul-destroying because I never have cash. Does anyone ever have cash anymore? So I can never give them change. I actually went and got money out the other day, so I got loads of... So I had pound coins to give people... That is soul destroying, and that's something you can vote to change. Like these politics is a lot more on your doorstep than it feels. When we watch it on TV, I think it feels you just feel like it's not for you. And mm. I, I, I'm hoping that we start to realize that actually there's a really immediate and direct change when we vote. But apart from voting, how else can we directly have an implication or um, an impact on what's happening in politics? Well, I would say at the moment, particularly where we've had an issue where you know we've had we've had these ten years of austerity, everybody would heard that word austerity again and again. Um, and do you know what? During that time, a lot of people have have kind of stood up and and filled in the the gap. Um, it's obviously a disgrace that we have food banks and that we keep having more and more food banks. But I've realised that uh, you know in 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 that particular gap, it, it's kind of made people more political um but not necessarily in the way that they're either marching or or you know standing to be a councillor or doing something they're actually actively doing something in their community and they're taking on different ways to do that even even little things so um we have a lot less mental health support in our communities which we touched on before and there's there's this amazing group in in Streatham actually called singing mamas and they're, they're literally in, 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 in that gap providing a, a space where um, mothers with postnatal depression come and they just, they just sing. And I know, I know that, that may sound a bit, um, kind of think of the word. But it, 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 I know what you mean, yeah. like a bit frivolous. Yeah, but uh, for the women that go there, it was actually it is actually amazing. And and after the the terrorist attack that happened in Stressman, they actually got uh, they were one of the community groups that got people together, and they organised everybody to sing along the street, and it was amazing. They actually made us sound good, which was quite. <laughs> I never knew so many people in Stressman could sing, but um, no. And 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 whilst we were all doing it, I actually felt what they were doing. It was actually very, very therapeutic, even for the tone deaf, like myself. But it was it was very, very therapeutic. And I and and people are just doing little things like that to to fill to fill in the gap. And they're not necessarily being 
political, but in 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 doing those things, they're providing a service to the community, but also calling out the fact that those things aren't being provided by the government. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's actually kind of brought up another really interesting thing which I wanted to ask you about, which I guess we hear more about when it comes to chi- climate change, which is kind of like the individual versus legislation. You can kind of be on one or both camps, kind of. So some people are like, oh my God, we can't use plastic bottles anymore. We have to all stop buying plastic bottles. And other people might say, well, it's top down. Like they have to stop selling plastic bottles. We can't take the onus. But I think sometimes we do use, I talk about legislative change all the time and how important that is. But as Val points out, like it's not always going to happen immediately. And I do wonder, I've recently just read Poverty Spy by Darren McGarvey and it really kind of shook me. I don't know if you've read it, but it is, it's, Amazing. Like, I, I always think, thought, I was, like, really woke and I was doing really well and I was like, on the right side of history. And actually that book kind of really kind of shook me to my core and made me wake up a little bit and think maybe there's a lot more that I need to change my understanding. And, and he really broke down that actually we do need to, if something's not happening from the top down, we still need to get up every morning and be like, maybe there is something a bit more I can do. And it, as, as you say, it doesn't have to be a massive thing, but, like, looking into our communities and... Um, I guess seeing our own power, because sometimes you can relinquish your, your power and actually make yourself weaker if you don't think that your voice or your actions make a change. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And I think um, I think over the years, it's almost been designed that way to make us think that, you know, whatever we do, whether we get up and vote, it's not going to make a difference. Mm. You hear people say, you know, all of these politicians, they're all the same. Some of them are the same. Some of us are different. Um, so you'll, hear, you'll hear stuff like that. And, and, and it's all kind of designed to make you disengage mm. with democracy. And if you disengage with democracy, you have less of the say. And more people like you have less of the say. And so that maintains the status quo. Yeah, I think it's so true. And it's, it's interesting because I think we also just feel there is a bit of an idea that you either have to be like full activist, vegan, socialist, whatever, or you kind of keep your head down and, and you don't speak up. But I think there are really little small acts of kindness that you can do which are still like political in their own right, even mm. if it's just speaking up against um, someone at work who makes a racist comment or whatever. It's creating the power of community, which is what those singing mothers were doing. It's kind of like we're obviously stronger together, which is what the sisterhood of feminism is all about as well. Um, but it's funny because I don't know if you feel this way as well, but my feminism is now coming to, I'm trying to include more men in it. There was a time when I really was like, it's all about women. Well, yes, all men. And now I'm like, actually, maybe it isn't all the men. You can come now, the nice ones, you come and join us. And I think, I think... Um, You're all very nice. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, and I think maybe it's really hard. I, I, find it, I find it so hard for so long to not get really enraged when talking about things to do with feminism because it's so personal. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being angry. Yeah. As long as the anger kind of turns into action. And you're absolutely right about bringing other people along with you. I've been quite involved in the anti-racist movement. And do you know, a lot of my, my, my greatest allies have been white people in terms of fighting racism. So that doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean if, if you're not directly affected by it, you cannot be involved. I just think it's very, very important that those who are impacted lead the movement because they're the ones that understand what it is that they're facing and they're also the ones that understand what the best thing to do is to mm. challenge it. But we do need all of our allies to do that. While we're talking about racism, it's going to be a really big topic, but it's a really, it's a really white room and often my audiences are very white because I think you kind of attract people that look like you and sound like you and have a similar life to you. But when we talk about racism, I guess... Um, some people may still not feel like they understand it that deeply. And I think what I've been trying to learn about more is like imperialism and colonialism and going further, further back rather than just talking about kind of um, outright racism, which we kind of all know what that is. And one of the things that you said in your maiden speech, and if you guys haven't watched it, I would recommend to watch it, but I kind of want you to really talk about it because it really shook me um, when you were talking about the history of our country and uh, kind of what happened. And I, I'm, please could you say again what you said in your maiden speech about 
the the payments that we're making and I'm uh, going to let you because I, I because that was once something which I think sometimes you learn something like that about history and you go oh my god this is I need to remember to stay alert to this because we can forget when you have privilege to stay alert to things like this. Yeah, no, I think I was, I was talking specifically about the, the Windrush generation and all of the issues that they had faced. Um, you know, they'd come to this country after the Second World War. Actually, as British citizens, their passports literally said British on it, um, and and. I think that kind of throws me now when people talk about cultural identity in Britain, when really there was an empire and the empire looked like looked like the whole diversity of the world and they were all meant to be British. But after the Second World War, there was that there, there was an issue. So people came over and they were working, they were building our public services. And um I think what I said is for their for their for their troubles, um, you know, they were were deported, they were detained, um, you know, they, they were denied their dignity. But not just that, I, I realised that when, um, after 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 slavery was ended uh, by, by, you know, an act of parliament, the individuals that were slave owners, many of them who were MPs like me, um, they were actually given a payout. And um, in order to give them that payout, the government had to borrow money. And the government only finished paying back that loan uh, in 2015, which means the descendants uh, of slaves who were living here, working, paying their taxes, um, the descendants of people who were colonised, like myself, were literally paying back people, paying back slave owners up until 2015. Now, I, I started working when I was 16. Um, taxes are very, very important. Obviously, when I was 16, I didn't think they were. But just the thought of, you know, having to pay that, that you were paying back slave owners. And obviously those that were enslaved didn't get anything and they're still being treated in a disgraceful way today. And I just, I don't know, I kind of wanted you to repeat that because I think we we don't learn, and I want to talk about this so much more, but our history is shit, like in school. You don't yeah. learn about like British history that we literally like raped, pillaged and stole from every single place in the world. Mm. Um, and... And I think sometimes we have to go that far back. I think we as white people have to do that work to understand why now when these little ripples of things that come up, which maybe people can't see the significance and the depth of the work, like the weight that they carry. Like if you go back and do the work, then it's it's a lot easier to understand why. And and I agree that like fighting, I think as white people, we should be better allies because we do have the, the privilege and the place to talk about it. So it's very heavy, wasn't it? Sorry about that bit. <laughs> That's absolutely fine. <laughs> so I'm going to go on to a slightly lighter topic just before we all get a bit too um, depressed about that. But being a woman, being in Parliament and kind of being in politics, what is your, do you have any personal goals with what you're trying to achieve? Like if you could have um, one amazing thing to happen this year, like one change that you could implement, what would that be? Oh, a change. Oh. <laughs> No, no. In, in in terms of a change, it would it would in, in my current role as the the, the shadow immigration minister to, to find a way to do away with the hostile environment. Um, I think in particular, um, I, th I think you're talking about different generations, but even for older people, I just don't see how it works. We are a aging population. Uh, we know we need better social care. Again, about the coronavirus, we're forty three thousand nurses down, and that's just in England, not even across the entire UK. And the idea that we shouldn't bring people into this country, to, you know, who want to live, who want to work here, um, just because they look a bit different is, is an absolute, it's an absolute disgrace. And if we, under this new immigration system, bring people in, they can come, but no, you can't bring your family. I mean, who's going, who's going to want to come and do that? Mm. Uh, so just, just, if we could find a way to just keep exposing that and just just completely trash um, the disgraceful immigration bill, that's coming up. If I could do that, that's that an amazing would be goal. <laughs> and I mean, I guess the other thing that I find so so ironic is that the same people that don't want to fight against climate change also don't want immigration. Yeah. And it's like you can't have one and the other. Like if you don't want as much, if you don't want mass immigration to happen years down the line, then the first thing we could do is start fighting for climate change. And that's kind of that, that angle of looking at things is the same way of looking at feminism and politics. Like everything is so interlinked. Like the socio-political is so much more tightly knitted to the political than I think we sometimes yeah. register. But even thinking of climate change specifically, I mean, climate change is now, you know, with, with everything that's happening in terms of this country, floods in the US and, and Australia in terms of fires. But climate change has been an issue for a number of years. It's just that it hasn't, it hasn't, 
there hasn't been as much awareness in 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 the West, if you want to call it. Uh, whereas in the global South, you know, whether it's the hurricanes in the Caribbean, um, you know, drought in East Africa, these things happen again and again. And I have to call out different aid companies at the time. Uh, it's really really great to give to charity. I just find it really disgraceful that how much some charities rake in and then what they actually end up doing with it. Uh, speaking specifically on the Caribbean and hurricanes, you know, those things happen. People's homes get destroyed and then, you know, they collect a load of money. Most of it goes to pay certain people's wages. It's another story. But then they don't build resilience. They don't build things that will help those, those you know, low-lying islands to defend against the hurricanes when they come next year. And they are going to come every single year. The droughts in East Africa are going to come every single year. And all of these things are just going to get worse until we tackle climate change. But when money's not spent in the best place. Mm. I think that's actually maybe another really difficult thing in this moment in time when uh, it's quite duplicitous. We have this with International Women's Day where loads of brands will try and like co-opt the day to sell you a T-shirt or whatever. And it'll be like female empowerment. And sometimes if we're not, if we're not knowledgeable enough, which no one, not everyone's expected to be knowledgeable enough, it's quite hard to like spend all your time reading into everything. But there's loads of greenwashing that goes on. There's lots of companies that profit off of making us feel like we're doing a good thing when actually we're feeding into a system that's what, like buying a fast fashion T-shirt like the, the chain of events that has to happen to that and that could culminate in a woman's death in a country that we've yeah. never been to like that kind of thing and I think what gets really difficult is because we live in a capitalist society um in order to work out how to do the right thing it can actually you have to get through so much shit so you might feel like oh my god I've donated to this cause as you say mm. which looks on the surface like it's doing something really really good but actually it's doing the complete antithesis and I think we have to give ourselves a bit more credit and also maybe work a little bit harder. Going to that climate change talk last night did really make me think, oh God, I, I really do need to kind of um, not let the cognitive dissonance be so strong. Mm. Because, and I think this happens with politics sometimes as well, that there's a there's a really interesting, there was something on Twitter not that long ago, it's really interesting, it's like why people voted for Brexit and why they voted against it. And two people said the exact same reason for why they voted for or against it. Mm. Um, because, they, because of the way that the, the media kind of like, sometimes we think we're doing the thing that we want to be doing, but we haven't really, like, done... I'm really butchering what I'm trying to say. Do you know no, what no, I'm trying I get, to say? I get what you mean. We, 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 we think that we're doing what we want to do, but we're doing what yeah. we've been told to do, or we've been given yeah. information incorrectly, Yeah. and and then we just apply it because we think, that, yeah. that's, that's right, that's it, that's terrible, we need to stop that. Yeah, and I, I think that, um, especially as women, we need to trust our instinct, trust our guts, and feel like, we do have the power to speak up and like find what's important to you. If we all had like a few things that we were really going to try and fight for, then if we all did that collectively, then I think that would have a much greater impact. I know that sometimes we can get like eco anxiety or like feminist anxiety that we're not being enough all of the time. But actually, I think it's about just trying to do the right thing sometimes. Yeah, um, no, I agree. It's about, I mean, it's it is definitely. Um, just specifically in terms of climate change, um, there's a lot that needs to be done from the top down. Mm. Uh, but us being more conscious about our individual behaviours does make a difference uh, because it also kind of tells the politicians that we vote for that we we don't think it's right. Um, and we are actively doing things ourselves and we want them. So, you know, in, in your individual local area, you're trying to get your council to create more opportunities for you to recycle quite simply. And... and you're arguing for more cycle lanes because you might want to stop driving and you're you're arguing for it to be safer. Just those little things that are kind of changing, changing, changing your behaviours, but also showing those at the top that they need to do what they need to do better in terms of changing things. And I think uh, there's a lot that needs to be done on the, on that specifically. When people write to you as an MP, do you literally read everything you get? Like if it's like a re request for a change or something, Does someone vet it? Um, no, no, no. <laughs> the thing is, a lot with, with a lot of these, um, who's ever put in something on change.org or, yeah, yeah. Well, so, just me. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll obviously just read one of them, <laughs> not all of them. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what they're saying, relate it to Labour policy, and, and then reply. Or if I have something specifically that I see. So, for example, um, I, I, I have a flat. Um, after what happened with Grenfell, um, you know, a lot of people who have bought new homes have issues with cladding around their properties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, do you too? Yeah, yeah. And and so where I can directly relate with somebody, if you've written to me, I would write back to you, uh, you know, explaining, I'll what's, write to you. <laughs> right. 
explaining what's happening and also say to you, do you know what? I sympathize because I also yeah. <laughs> have this situation. So, um, and, and even if I can't directly relate, I will explain to you why it's important mm. to me that it, that, 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 you know, you, you get what it is that you're asking for. And I suppose the worst thing for me, um, particularly as a new MP and particularly because I was a policy advisor before for the Labour Party and, um, we had this great manifesto is, is not being able to deliver on all of those things mm. that we, we, we wanted to. Um, so I suppose that, that, that's why we were trying to work more on, on again, engaging people, getting people active, empowering them to fill that gap until, you know, we can have a situation where we can deliver on those things because they are absolutely deliverable. I think, I think we've become quite reductionist in society that we've got this idea that, uh, you know, if, if X is going to have Y, then A can't have B. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's the idea, again, relating it back to immigration. Um, people keep saying you've got to listen to people in immigration, you've got to listen to their concerns. But if you listen to people's concerns about immigration, they always seem to be about resources. They always seem to be about, you know, jobs and housing and the NHS. And if those are people's real issues, then why don't we sort out jobs and housing and the NHS? And then maybe their problem wouldn't be people that look different. Yeah. Well, it's that kind of like punching up, punching down idea of, you know, we want to, we're taught kind of to, to blame, push the blame elsewhere and not really look to the issue, as you say, like if there weren't, if there was more space, there was more resources, then we would all be more harmonious, but we'd, yeah. we'd look to each other, um, which is an interesting idea. I want to open it up to the floor. So if anyone has any questions, then you can put your hand up and someone will pop round with a microphone. Is, is that okay? I can't see if the, the person with the microphone is so really bad. Oh, fab. I saw your arm then. Has anyone, has anyone got any questions? Don't be shy. Yeah, over here. Amazing. Thank you. Hi. Hello. Hello. Um, who is your, in kind of this topic of International Women's Day, your, your absolute gal pal in, in Parliament? So your number one... <laughs> Do you know, it would have to be Diane Abbott. I, 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 I worked for her for eight years, I think it was. I even managed to get myself an office a couple of doors down so I can nick stuff. Although, no, <laughs> I, d I actually probably shouldn't say that, can we? <laughs> no, no. Fine, I, I can, they were I can, the only one. I can borrow things, <laughs> like, like paper and stuff. No, but she is. I mean, she, she, uh, if there's anybody to teach you how to do it, well, um, it's her. Uh, obviously, she put me off initially, but, you know... <laughs> But yeah, no, no, she's been an absolute major support. And obviously some of the other young women that have been elected alongside me as well. It can be a really lonely place, even if you've worked there for a long time and you know a lot of people. So to have that kind of solidarity and to have that, and actually just to have the fact generally that there are more women around than there were before definitely makes it feel more comfortable. Oh, God, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just breaking it. Um, can you oh, oh, I'm really blind. Sorry. Can't see what's going on. Hey. Hi. Um, so in terms of the new immigration policy, um, how do you think that affects how many women come into the country as opposed to men? Well, I, I, think, I think that's a really good question because generally in terms of um, migration, uh, it's always women, it's always men, sorry, who are more likely to be able to come in. Even if you're looking at people who are, are fleeing the country as refugees, um, it's always more men that come. And women are obviously, again, not even being stereotypical, but you're less likely to leave your families. If you're, if you're you know, and men are more likely to, oh, I'm just going to go and leave everybody and, and start again. So it is, it, is, it is making a very big statement to say, that you can't bring your family along with you is making a very big statement um, to kind of de to ha have wages at a certain level because you're not going to have lots and lots of women coming over. It's just going to be more difficult. Mm. That's a very good question. Better than any of my questions. Has anyone else got any on? Any? Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Sorry. You're getting your steps in for the day, which is always good. <laughs> Could you maybe just pass it along? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. 
Um, why do you think there has been a rise in violence against MPs? Do you think it's because the kind of diversity, like there's more women, there's, you know, people of different ethnicity that are now in those positions of power? Do you think that's why there has been that rise in violence? I think it's it's more about a, a complete kind of narrative in society at the moment. Um, I think it's become really dangerous how people playing out things online um, and, and people with mental health issues. Uh, because to be quite frank, people that commit violent acts, whether it be, be, be terrorism or the individual that went after Joe Cox, they had mental health issues. That doesn't excuse what they did at all, but they're, they're, being, they're being fed really, really horrible, toxic narratives. And, and you know, it keeps playing over and over um, in their minds. And because it, it sells stories, um, because it creates something sensationalist, people keep allowing that to happen without thinking what the impact is on individuals and then thinking about what the impact is on the individuals they're spouting hate at. Mm. That's a really good point. And also it's kind of in, it, he talk, touched on something, but those things with, with violence and, and it tends to be like the more you understand it deeper, but it'll be from like a deep rooted place, probably something awful has happened. It's also cyclical yeah. and kind of like a really good way of not always, but of um, reducing crime and, and reducing things that happen is actually if we had less less poverty and better quality. Yeah. Cause, yeah. No, I completely agree. And then I know just little things like there was, this is back when police actually had money. Um, but uh, years ago, there was a police force, I think it was Cumbria, I always get it wrong, um, that they had a spike in crime and they thought to themselves, what was what was the issue? What was causing the spike in crime? So they did some investigations into it and they found out that it was um, drug drug misuse. So they just put more money into drug rehabilitation and crime went down. Oh, wow, just, just that simple. Just that simple, yeah. Does anyone else have any more questions at the back? Hello. Hi. Um, I was just wondering, um, is there anything that you think that we can do to shine a light on people behind the successful person in a family that tends to normally be a male? And, you know, with the new immigration law, it means that the man will come across and he won't be able to bring his family because he's the moneymaker or whatever, a woman who doesn't make any wages, somebody needs to be there to look after the children. Somebody needs to be there to look after the house. Or so, you know, that stuff doesn't happen by itself. Is there anything that we can, clearly the country is unaware of this or not wanting to support the people in the shadows. Is there anything that we can do to sort of help bring this to light and show that this is actual work and give praise to the people behind all of the people who are successful? Well, um, less so and specifically in terms of people that are staying at home. But one of the things that I've been trying to make a point of more recently is, is in relation to this immigration, but people keep talking about uh, low-skilled work and high-skilled work. And I think that's really, really disgraceful because I, I absolutely believe that all work is skilled if it's done well. It's just mm. that some work is better paid than other work. I mean, I... I recently went not that recently actually time has passed me by on 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 a, on a, a march with mcdonald's workers and you know people that it, it, it's quite people think oh gosh you work in mcdonald's but i think to myself break it down how how many of us could stand on our feet for that many hours and be polite to people who are asking you really really ridiculous questions some of them in in the late middle of the night because they've come from a club and they're shouting because they want their cheeseburger and where's the milkshake? Do you know what I mean? Just, just, just some of those jobs that people don't think mm. are very are worth anything. Standing up for those individuals, standing up for those individuals in in social care, and and as you point out rightly, pointing out um, the different roles that people play. So that there are there are carers, um, carers who who may be taking care of someone who's sick, who may be taking care of somebody who's who's young, who aren't given a lot of support. And we've 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 attempted to argue for better better funding for individuals such as that. Again, shining a light on the fact that what what they do is also important, but also trying to make the point that we can't we you know we can't have a situation where an individual comes into the country and uh, you're saying that they can't bring their family member because they don't earn enough money and the family member's not going to earn enough money because there are different roles which people play. 
That's a really good question. And also, I guess that was one of the reasons that International Women's Day was kind of started. It was to recognise that the, the labour that women do, especially in the home and the caregiving, is like huge. I don't know if you guys have read um, Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Perez about the gender data gap. One of the most amazing books I've ever, ever read. And she talks heavily about how we do women on average like 40 extra hours of work a week that's unpaid and unknown. So that's a really, really interesting point. And if you look into the history of International Women's Day, it's kind of like on one of the cusp of the arguments that they have. Um, actually, I find out an interesting fact, this International Women's Day. I went back fact. to my secondary school, actually. That was fun. <laughs> um, I didn't have to wear the uniform anymore, which is fantastic. <laughs> but 70% uh, of the women, women, 70% of the farmers in the world are women. Wow. Yeah. Never knew that. Yeah. And, and you, you wouldn't necessarily, you know, you think of a farmer, you think of Farmer Giles with his flat cap and his little tractor. Um, but no, 70% of the women in the world, 70% of farmers in the world are women. Yeah. That's really good fact. <laughs> I love that. Um, does anyone have a, another question? Let me do like a couple more. So right at the front here. So this is a very broad question, uh, so I apologise, but thinking about um, feminism, as you said right at the start, as equality, do you think we'll ever get there and can you kind of, can you actually see it happening in sort of the next so many years, will ever make any good moves towards actual equality? I think we can definitely get there because I, I am sure, and I know it's something that we may not know in history, there was a time when this wasn't an issue. There must have been a time when this was an issue. There was a time when racism was an issue because race isn't even a thing. Mm. Race doesn't actually biologically exist. It's just a completely social construct. And, you know, the same type of um, so-called gender norms that keep us in, in the inequality that we are also didn't exist. And if we can just get back to that place, which I believe we can do, um, you know, the, the, the world would be better for it. But... In terms of how 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 soon we can get there, it's just about a willingness of of you know feminists and their allies to to continue making that point, and actually just those in power to 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 accept it or either just get rid of those in power. That's always good. Yeah, I think that'll work. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we do one last one. Is everyone comfy? All okay. Good. Is anyone else? Is there a hand? Over over here. Thank you. <laughs> that's good we're making the men do the work <laughs> we're all chilling uh. <laughs> thank you um you, we we talked you talked about how our education is shit basically <laughs> had um and i can speak to that as somebody who's brought up uh, educated in the 1970s we learnt nothing but kings and queens of england and how great victorian uh, architects and engineers were nothing about why um where um why we have sugar why we have cotton what the industrial revolution was 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 built on so i think in the same way as we um as education teaches you that there have been no great women in art history for instance mm. how do we de decolonize um Education, because it starts at sc in school, doesn't it? Um, I've been really impressed with the way that individual teachers have been trying to do it themselves. Obviously, they've got to stick to a certain uh, syllabus and certain rules, but they've actually actively tried to to change certain things. So, you know, during Women's History Month, during LGBT History Month, and actually Black History Month, you'll find individual teachers uh, doing these things. But again, it's one of those one of those situations where. You can do a certain amount from the bottom up, but we've got to change things from 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 the top. So we do have to change uh, the curriculum. And again, try not to get stuck in these reductionist arguments where, well, actually, if we learn about slavery and colonialism, then we can't learn about this. Actually, we spend a lot of time at school. I don't know about you. I spent a lot of time <laughs> at school. I'm sure that we could find time to learn about everything that we need to. <laughs> I, and also it's just so fucking important it's like yeah. one of the most important things you can learn so otherwise you have to do all this unlearning yeah I think that's a really good question um it's something I think about a lot I do actually just well I mean this kind of like the podcast like all the things we didn't get taught in school and like why did no one 
teach me all of this stuff about like the interesting parts of sex rather than like how to put a condom on a banana, which is like just not that interesting. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's just none of the none of the, the interesting things. Anyway, um, I've literally loved talking to you. Thank you so uh, it's much. It's been for really good. Thank you. Coming to hang out with me on your Sunday night and on International Women's Day. It's an absolute honor. Uh, thank you guys so much for all being here. I just want to also say that I was given these by um, Women for Women UK. And if you want to, if you have a pen, Sony will catch, you can basically <laughs> write a message and it's to women in war-torn war countries or in difficult scenarios and basically it gets translated and they get given it so they feel like they're not alone. So you can just write something and be like, hi, I just wanted to let you know that, you know, I'm thinking of you and I live in the UK and this is my name or something about you. And, and if you want to do this and you have a pen then you can and then just leave it on the bar and I'll, I'll collect them all and give them back in. But it's just like a nice thing to do um, for women who perhaps don't have this amazing community that we have. And it's, yeah, I'm really grateful that you all came out tonight. So thank you so much. I thank hope you had a nice time. Yeah. Thank you. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.